Welcome to the third in our series of podcasts developed by the Community College League of California as part of their CEO Strategic Leadership Program. I'm Rita Cepeda and I will be your guide for this discussion. Each of these podcasts has been designed to provide data-informed, relevant, and pragmatic information to support CEOs as they navigate their challenging but extremely rewarding careers. In the first two podcasts, we focus on board CEO relations as the foundational structure upon which all else depends. It is for this reason that in our introductory discussion, we pay particular attention to the explanation of the different roles and functions expected of the board and CEO, the mandates in law supporting those roles and functions, the difference between the policy role of the board and the implementation role of the CEO, the core purpose of the mission, vision, and value statements designed to guide the governance and management path of the institution, and finally, the critical steps of planning, monitoring, and accountability that bring all work to fruition. At this point in our journey, we will be moving to specific tools and skills critical to college management and administration. At the top of this list are leadership skills, and in particular, the way in which we use those skills in a strategic, ethical, and equity-minded manner. In one of our previous podcasts, we talked about communication and whether this aptitude is an art or a process. We finally opted for the determination that it was both art and process. In the case of leadership, the same question can be asked. Is leadership art or process? Once again, we can ascertain that leadership is both. It is a skill that can be learned and an art that in this instance is endemically tied to the individual. In many interviews in which you and I have participated, the question is always asked, what is your leadership style? I invite you to pause this presentation and think about your answer to two questions. One, what is my leadership style? And two, is there an ideal leadership style? This conversation is divided into two parts. In part one, we will review the history and evolution of leadership theories, followed by a review of leadership models that emerged from those theories. In part two, We will go beyond the theories and examine personal applications as we seek to discover your own leadership style. But first, let us start with a commonly agreed definition of leadership. Don't worry about writing things down. After we have finished our talk, you can go directly to www.ccleague.org. There you will find a copy of the transcripts for this presentation accompanied by PowerPoint slides that abstract the major point from this discussion. Now let us move on to the definition that is most often used for leadership. Leadership is often defined as, quote, the ability to influence the directions, goals, and efforts of others through means that include but go beyond the simple exercise of authority. Leadership is an influence relationship that embodies purpose and confidence in a person or group among those who follow. End quote. History of leadership theories. At first, 
as a young white-eyed graduate with my shining doctoral degree in educational policy analysis and research, I began in earnest to study the theory and history of leadership. I started to dismay when some of the documents I reviewed took me back to Plato, Lao Tzu, Aristotle, and Machiavelli. It seemed that these early luminaries are generally responsible for contributing to the idea that a leader is born, not made. At this point, I began to feel very uneasy. As I moved out of ancient history, the next benchmark in the modern evolution of leadership theories begins as early as 1840 with the great men theory that focuses on leader as hero. While this approach began to ebb about 1910, some of this thinking still prevails when we hear proponents refer to the great men theory as they speak about individuals such as Winston Churchill, Steve Jobs, or Elon Musk. After 1910, trait theory began to emerge, built on the idea that leaders possess certain qualities or traits and are different from regular folk. However, the theory started to decline in the late 1940s when contradictory studies emerged that indicated it was not traits, but behaviors that mattered. In the 1950s, behavioral theory made its debut focusing on the nature versus nurture controversy, arguing that under the right conditions, leaders emerge because of their environment as well as their nature. From this moment on, there seemed to be an increasingly rapid evolution of leadership and management theories, including contingency theory in 1967, urging that the leader should adopt and adapt traits and behaviors unique to each situation, asserting that no single style of leadership was universally appropriate. Transactional leadership in the 1970s held that leader must find a means to align and adequately reward or punish followers for performing leader-assigned tasks. Transformational leadership theory in 1985 to about 2010 built on trust and inspiration to make the team more motivated and effective. It further stated that a relationship based on mutual stimulation and elevation converts followers into leaders and may convert leaders into moral agents. Leader-follower theory from the 1990s onward, also associated with Robert Greenleaf's servant leadership and contingency theory, emphasized the choice of some leaders to serve their followers, empowering them to live and work to their full potential. Systems leadership theory 2050 onwards focuses on the need for awareness of an interconnected world leading to an appreciation of the system and nature of contemporary issues. Systems leadership recognizes that collaboration is essential to solving problems. This approach requires that the ego be sacrificed for the common good because the consideration of multiple points of view is essential. There are several critical observations regarding the evolutionary history of leadership theories. Early models of leadership between 1840 and 1960 were almost exclusively authored by white men. These models described traits, behaviors, and influence strategies that championed individuality, hierarchical power, depersonalization, 
persuasion, and control. Between 1970 and 2015, with the emergence of women in key leadership positions in the workforce, a different and devolved perspective surfaced. This new body of literature focuses on the experiences of women leaders, and it describes a vastly different image of leadership, more participatory, relational, and interpersonal. In addition, these studies illustrate different types of power and influence strategies, such as reciprocity and collectivity. Women leaders tend to conceptualize leadership as a collective rather than an individual endeavor. They emphasize responsibility towards others and the importance of empowering group members to act within the organization. This emerging leadership theories de-emphasize hierarchical relationships as 21st century leaders become increasingly diverse. Next, with this history in mind, it is important to understand that each of these theories has left its mark, and to some degree, their basic tenets still influence our thinking today. Given this stipulation, let us examine five of the most prominent leadership models that influence organizations today. Hierarchical models. In a hierarchical organization, leaders organize subordinates into a pyramid-like structure. At the lowest level, less experienced employees take direction from supervisors and managers at higher levels. This approach clearly delineates a chain of command from the lowest to the highest levels within an organization. Positionality model. This approach focuses on whether who we are based on our experiences is related to what we know about leadership. Positionality assumes that power relations can change and that social categories are fluid and dynamic, affected by historical and social changes. In social justice, this theory is defined as a point of view which is derived by virtue of where you stand in relationship to the alleged power dynamics that define socially constructed reality. In other words, it is the social and political context in terms of race, class, gender, sexuality, and ability status that creates our point of view and behavior as a leader. Positionality also describes how your identity influences and potentially biases your understanding and outlook of the world. Standpoint leadership model. While similar to positional leadership, this comes from a feminist theoretical perspective that argues that knowledge stems from a social position. These ideas emerge from the Marxist argument that people from an oppressed class have special access to knowledge that is not available to those from a privileged class. Standpoint theory seeks to develop a particular feminist epistemology that values the experiences of women and minorities as a source of knowledge. Prominent standpoint theorists include Dorothy Smith, Nancy Harstock, Donna Haraway, Sandra Harding, Alison Wilde, Lynette Hunter, and Patricia Collins. Servant leadership. This theory has gained popularity and Robert Kane Greenleaf defines it as a management philosophy that implies a comprehensive view of the quality of people, work, and community spirit. It requires a spiritual understanding of identity, mission, vision, and environment, 
A servant leader looks to the needs of the people and asks how he or she can help them solve problems and promote personal development. Greenleaf stated that, quote, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with a natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then the conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. The difference manifests itself in the caretaking by the servant to make sure that other people's highest priorities needs are being served." End quote. Connective Leaders Jean Lippmann Blumen in her book, Connective Leadership, Managing in a Changing World, defines connective leadership as an approach that is more politically savvy and instrumental, yet more ethical, authentic, accountable, and particularly more ennobling. Quote, the connective leadership model represents a leadership model designed for the current connective era, a period marked by the tensions between interdependence and diversity. The connective era calls for new leadership strategies to enable individuals and groups with diverse and potentially conflicting backgrounds, talents, and agendas to live and work together productively, creatively, and harmoniously. End quote. Equity-minded leaders. Later in our discussion, we will go into more detail about equity-minded leadership because it looks at skills and traits that are particularly important for educational leaders. The University of Southern California Center for Urban Education has developed a framework that focuses on patterns of inequality in student outcomes and leaders who are willing to take personal and institutional responsibility for the success of their students by critically reassessing their practices. It also requires that practitioners be race conscious and aware of the social and historical context of exclusionary practices in American higher education. And so it was that in my leadership journey, I found myself befuddled by the abundance of literature on the topic. Even more so, when I discovered contradictions between models, some advised the need to depersonalize while others advocated for importance of the individual. Some used terms like control and persuade, while others highlighted the importance of inspirational approaches. Some models advocated a pyramidal structure, while others urged us to connect in a more circular manner, taking advantage of each member's skills. It seemed that no sooner had I found a framework that seemed to fit that I became disillusioned with the actual practice of any one given approach. In other words, I could not find a personal fit. Then I had an aha moment. I realized that it was all about fit. The fit between our positional perspectives and worldviews, our core principles and values, and yes, our gender and ethnicity. As we have learned, there are multiple leadership theories and models, and no single approach is ideal. Instead, new leaders must invent their own paradigm, pick and choose depending on the fit, not only for yourself, but for the institution you plan to serve. Yes, you may gravitate to a particular model, and this will become your center or base. However, there is no shoehorn that is appropriate. 
We must learn and adapt as we grow, and we must look at the students and the community we serve to determine the approach best suited to the situation. In part two of this podcast, we will narrow our focus on key elements of educational leadership. Mm-hmm.